My name is Denise Bolsch, and I'd like to welcome you to this next podcast in our series. I am pleased to be joined by Ned Poistkich, um, who is the Vice President Pharmacy Benefits Management at GreenShield Canada. Ned oversees the PBM portfolio at GreenShield, um, including product development, pharmaceutical partnerships and operations. He has a PhD in public policy, uh, specifically the expanded scope of practice for pharmacy. And today we will be discussing obesity. So thanks for joining me today, Ned. Thank you. Appreciate it. So I'd like to start by asking you to give us uh, a definition of obesity so we can kind of understand where we're starting from in our discussion. We often refer to obesity um, when we're talking about, you know, a few extra pounds, but that's not really what we mean, is it? No, it's not. And it's, it, you know, I think it's important um, to start with the recognition of obesity as a disease, much like many other diseases that individuals suffer from that we treat through various treatments, etc. And so, you know, obesity is complex, and it's and it's multifactorial, right? Um, and it's, you know, characterized, if you, if you look at it from a formal definition perspective, by the presence of excessive or dysfunctional adipose uh, tissue or fat tissue, right? And, and that it's important to recognize that, of course, that impair, impairs health and well-being overall. So when you look at those elements of the, of the definition, it's really understanding that that whole holistic health picture and how obesity, you know, um, it is a disease that ultimately impairs health and well-being and some, some of those elements together. I, I think that's very important for us to understand as we go into this discussion. So can you speak to the updates regarding how obesity is recognized from a clinical perspective? I think in... Was in the uh, clinical practice guidelines and uh, recognition of obesity as a obesity as a chronic condition that were released released a couple of years ago. Is that right? That's right. That's exactly it. And and I think we you know we should start with that premise because it's it's really important um, that it be conceptualized and understood that way because that understanding that common ground then leads us to make different decisions around how we treat it, what we do, and 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 you know whether it's from an insurance perspective, a healthcare system as a whole, etc. And so. Um, you know, that, that recognition of it of, uh, as a disease and as something that, you know, um, w- would certainly fundamentally change our perception then of how to approach it from all those standpoints that I just mentioned. Yeah. And obviously having those clinical practice guidelines really reinforces, um, that change in perception or, or change in treatment philosophy, uh, for obesity. Yeah. And it's, you know, if we think about it, it's, it's understanding its multifactorial nature is essential, right? And how it's influenced by the combination of biology and individual behaviors, of course, right? But also the physical, social, policy environment, all those, all those kinds of things are, 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 are contribute in understanding the, this disease rather than sort of, in, you know, focusing solely on the individual behaviors component of it, which is one component, but not the only one, of course. Right. So we hear a lot about obesity and the trends around obesity. Um, so what, uh, what do you, you know, what can you share with our listeners about the trends around obesity and maybe the proportion of Canadians who might be classified as say obese versus those that are overweight? Yeah, that's no, a great question because, you know, the reality is that obesity is on the rise and, and it has been for a number of years. So if you look at sort of the share of adults that are obese, and if we, tr- you know, look at that trend. Uh, since 1975, uh, as a reference point, it's going back a number of decades, you know, there's been a threefold increase in the number of individuals or share, share of adults that, that are classified as obese. And so, and by definition of that, we're looking at the body mass index equal to or greater than 30, you know, uh, as, as a sort of a, uh, a definition, if you want to start from that perspective. Um, 
And so, you know, back in 1970s, you know, 1975, we had about maybe 10 under 10% of individuals that were in that category. Today, we're looking at over 30% of individuals, right? And again, number of different reasons for that, right? Uh, that, 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 yes, they have an element to do with our diets and how that has changed over the years. That has, you know, with the aspects associated uh, with sedentary lifestyles, our, our contributors, as well as all the other things, you know, that we know contribute to obesity, biology, and, and everything else that, that, are, that is an important element of that. So just to build on that, um, how, how has our understanding of the cause of obesity and the factors that contribute to it changed over time? So, um, you know, as you said, like overeating, lack of exercise, lifestyle was really the primary driver in certainly most medical practitioners' minds um, in days gone by about, you know, why somebody became obese. But there, there's a lot of science behind the change in the clinical practice guidelines and the the definition of obesity as a disease. That's right, isn't it? That's correct. Exactly. So, you know, I kind of at the beginning pointed out that there's these three kind of buckets, if you want to look at them, biology, individual behaviors, and then the physical, social, and policy environment. And they're all important because, for example, we know that genetics are a huge factor in determining, you know, whether an individual may ultimately be obese, right? So the, those genetics, even the prenatal environment, you know, that, that, that before birth and uh, is going to be a contributing factor. So, you know, the individual behaviors, part, the physical activity, the sleep, the food consumption, the sedentary behaviors, those are absolutely still factors. So, and we shouldn't knock that down because we're trying to, you know, just look at it, just d- diminish the importance of that. It is absolutely important because those things are contributors, but not, again, not in isolation. And then the whole element of physical, social, and policy environment, right? So if you think about, you know, if you live in a food oasis where you don't have access to healthy foods, if you um, don't have access to, uh, you know, uh, uh, easy, you know, gym or activity uh, environment. So if we call it an activity environment, if we don't have access to a gym membership, we don't have access to, you know, things like that, right? Economic environment is going to be important. What can you afford in terms of food? Because we know that, you know, um, uh, there's an association there in terms of being the ability to be able to access healthy foods, fruits and vegetables, the time to prepare meals and things like that. So it's, it's very complicated, right? When you think about it from all those perspectives, just like, for example, we know our built environment is built for us not to exercise. You know, the, the, the default choice is often the unhealthy one. So if you think about, you know, if the elevator is the thing you have right in front of you, you're going to take the elevator, right? But if you present stairs as the default option, because the, the elevator is hard to find, you're going to walk up the stairs. So all of our built environments and many of the things that are part of our lives, inherent part of our lives, are often designed with sort of the unhealthy choice, the one that may contribute to obesity. And so how do we change all of those things to for the healthy choice to be the default choice, right? So we got a lot of work to do on that, and we're nowhere near that. And I think even the social understanding of those things is in its infancy. You know, it's it's kind of where smoking was in 1950. You know, we we need to first understand it, acknowledge it, then start to change our environment to disincentivize the the unhealthy behavior, right? Um, and it's going to take time. It's it's going to take a lot of system engineering and a lot of work to to get us to that point. Uh, so we we talked about uh, you know individual behaviors and and how they contribute to obesity and uh, you've spoken very well uh, about the societal impact. And we know that in North America, um, you know any country that adopts that North American lifestyle tends to have higher rates of obesity. We've seen that uh, as countries adopt the you know that uh, the diet that we that we have here in North America. And we know that there's, as you mentioned, uh, a scientific uh, aspect to obesity. There's that that gut brain connection that is still not completely understood, 
but scientists are getting better at understanding that. And the treatments for obesity have been developing over time as well. They I mean, the first treatments were, you know, gut-wrenching, literally. They were really, really tough to manage as an individual, and they had some pretty significant side effects. But uh, we are seeing, um, you know, better treatment options for people who are uh, have the, a diagnosis of obesity. So when we we look at that better understanding from an individual societal and a biological perspective, and we have better options available to individuals, um, how important and how well are we doing at changing our perceptions as a not just a society, but as an industry in the group benefits industry, from thinking of obesity as a lifestyle uh, issue versus uh, an actual disease that is multifactorial. I think I referenced a little bit earlier the fact that um, we're in it in our in, in its infancy in in terms of changing that public perception um, and changing our own perception and changing you know as as a result of changing that philosophy and perception then changing what we do and how we do it whether on benefit plans or or whatnot. Um, it's going to take some time, and I think this kind of a conversation today is very important in helping us get to that right is putting that um, perspective in mind so we can take the next steps necessary and so. Um, you know, if I can kind of zero in on specifically, I think on benefit plans, the history is uh, less than ideal, right? We we have a very complex hodgepodge of coverage when it comes to uh, these types of treatments. And so obesity has generally been lumped in with many of the other conditions, such as smoking cessation and, and infertility in some cases as well, into a category called lifestyle, um, which is probably the biggest misnomer that, you know, I have ever kind of, you know, heard in the sense that we, we put it in that category because we consider when we say lifestyle, we're saying it's your lifestyle that contributed to this, right? Um, and so, you know, I think what, what we, we need to reframe that, obviously, right? And then as a result of reframing that, understanding that, knowing now that, you know, it's, it is a disease, then we can change our approaches to what we do. Because as a co corollary to this, you know, for example, we don't consider statins for um, high cholesterol usage uh, for treatment of high cholesterol as a lifestyle drug. Why? Because, you know, it's a cholesterol, high cholesterol, so you're going to treat it. But the reality is that a lot of that high cholesterol may also be contributed to through, through unhealthy eating or whatever the case may be, right? And again, it's not the only factor, but it's one. But we don't think about it that way. So we're inconsistent internally in some of the approaches we're taking to what we cover and what we don't cover. Um, and that's really the journey we're on at, at Green Shield is in trying to change that because we believe that the new approach is necessary here. Um, and we're going to be walking that walk with the changes we're making to our benefit plans this year to make this a lot more consistent with the scientific understanding and of, of what obesity is um, and reframing that conversation. So are your plans then to recategorize the anti-obesity medication and put some parameters around, um, you know, sort of your internal um, guidelines as to when anti-obesity medication uh, will be approved? That's right. That's exactly what we're going to be doing. So this year we're introducing um, standardization across our book of business um, in terms of how these medications are going to be covered, right? So as historically, as I've kind of alluded to earlier, it was a complex array of maximums, deductibles, uh, time periods when things were eligible or not, uh, you know, just, just a complete mess of different elements of how these drugs were covered to a much more standardized approach. 
And of course, you know, at the end of the day, as a benefits provider, our goal is always to, in, you know, enable our plan sponsors' choice and what they want to do. So this is not, you know, plan sponsors will always have a choice about how they want to maintain their coverage. What we're doing is sort of simply updating and creating a standard that our plan sponsors, you know, we hope our plan sponsors will follow. And, uh, you know, history suggests that in the past when we've taken these very scientific and, you know, uh, rational approaches, plan sponsors work with us and, and implement them. Um, you know, to, to, again, bring it to the 21st century and, and, and in line with the scientific understanding of, of uh, how, these pla- how this particular benefit should be administered. And that means, you know, yes, always ensuring that we're consistent with the clinical practice guidelines. Uh, prior authorization will always be in place to ensure that these drugs are covered in a way that is consistent with the best evidence. Um, but, but we do need to, in many cases, you know, have much more consistent and broader coverage for some of these drugs that, that, uh, otherwise have had too many, uh, restrictions that are not consistent with evidence and not consistent with clinical practice guidelines. So, I think, I mean, I think that's very interesting. You said that's going to happen in 2023. Correct. That's right. And so what about your peers? uh, And I know you can't speak about any specifics, but what about your peers in the insurance industry and other insurers? Are you, are you seeing a sort of a, a greater awareness of, um, you know, the, the medical research and the, the new guidelines that we've referred to, that the recognition that, um, you know, carriers need to rethink? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I'm seeing that in the industry that there's a definitely movement towards a um, number of different uh, benefits that were traditionally considered lifestyle to be more for us to be more flexible and, and standardized in terms of what we, how we cover these things. I'm, I'm definitely seeing more of that, more conversations are occurring in our industry and in conferences and other events around the need to, um, you know, make some changes to this, that it is consistent with this. Of course, you know, Green has always had a bit of a history of being an innovative leader in different areas, right? And you can point to, you know, number of different areas that we've led on, on this file, on these types of files, right? And so um, we're happy to, again, you know, act in a leadership role in this way. And, and, and of course, alongside our industry peers in many ways as well. So that's what so that's what your perception is that Green Shield making uh, making changes in 2023 um, on how they they you know help uh, their plan members manage their disease is going to really be to be taking a leadership position in the industry. We we do have a you know what we like to call a rich history of firsts, um, and this is certainly um, you know consistent with that. And and I you know and I do want to. Um, also add that, you know, as a green shield, a green shield, we're also not just an insurance company, of course, and provider benefit plans, but we're also a pharmacy benefits manager, where right. we work with a number of different other insurers, and we, we support the work that they do. And so this will be, you know, something that is, is obviously something we're working with all those partners, we call them partners, you know, our clients and partners in terms of having having that new approach to to coverage. Yeah. So it sounds like um, your Green Shield is and its partners are going to be innovators in this space. And um, it but it sounds like, um, you know, there might be some uh, more change as well that we can look forward to across the industry um, in the future in this uh, this particular disease area. Yeah, I certainly hope so. And I think the, the writing's on the wall on that for sure. So that will be a change then to like the, the norm right now is that obesity medications are not covered. Is that right? Typically? I wouldn't necessarily say that. I think there's a fair bit of coverage already. Um, I think that, you know, number of plans, you know, if I had to venture a number, I would, you know, propose a number of 40 to 50% of probably plans already do cover, uh, the, you know, anti-obesity medications. Um, 
But I think what the problem is, first of all, there's, there is some lack of coverage, you know, that other half that there is no coverage. But then the other element is the, um, the somewhat inconsistent um, nature of, of, of coverage where it does exist. So what I mean is things like an annual maximum of $500, for example. Right. Well, that doesn't, doesn't make sense if, you know, if, if you really want to cover some of these new effective drugs that are uh, coming down the market and that are truly revolutionizing the way that we treat obesity. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I can, uh, I can certainly appreciate that. Um, and, and we do see that, um, that those inconsistencies, not just in the area of obesity, but in, but in other areas as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, so when it comes to obesity, you did mention prior authorization, of course, most people who know me know that that's kind of a subject close to my heart these days. Um, so without, you know, giving away any specifics, what kind of things will you be looking at to ensure that, you know, a patient qualifies or a, a plan member rather qualifies for coverage for anti-obesity medications? Yeah, so the traditional as, and, and as approved by Health Canada, if you look at, you know, the label is looking at, um, you know, the patient being of a certain BMI yeah. um, or having a slightly lower BMI in addition to certain comorbidities associated with it, whether they be diabetes or hypertension or high cholesterol. So that's kind of at the highest level, the combination of, um, you know, clinical uh, or, or parameters that we're going to be looking for yeah. as a criteria for administration of, of these drugs. And that's not new. That's, that's already been in place for a number of years. Yeah, so that's sort of a patient profile that you'll be looking at. That's right. That's right. And again, consistent with the Health Canada approval in many cases, and you know, and and, and as it was approved, you know, in terms of its, its clinical profile. And so, in terms of the treatment of obesity and, and those anti-obesity medications, um, from from what I've heard from various physicians, you know, that I've listened to talk about this, uh, for some people, this is a, a very much a long-term therapy. It's not like a, you know, it's like not like you know, a, a miracle diet pill that you take for six months and hey, presto, you know, your obesity is cured and you're never going to need it again. So for some people, it will be something that they'll need to be taking for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Is that your understanding? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it is a chronic uh, drug. It's something that is that is going to be used on an ongoing basis. And, you know, the benefits are seen sometimes in the first several months. And then obviously the maintenance of that weight loss is an important element of uh, reapproval for, for some of that drug, right? Ensuring that... Uh, that uh, the, the weight loss is sustained over a period of time. Um, and, you know, we do know that when you think about that weight loss, it isn't just, it's not about the weight loss per se, just about that as, 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 a, as its element. It's about what that means in terms of overall health. So you can see that, you know, the evidence suggests that, you know, for every, uh, you know, uh, uh, five to 10%, you know, decrease in, in weight, we have a significant decrease in mortality. In some cases, up to 30% reduction in mortality, right? For even a modest, decrease in weight. So the association is very strong. We know that when, you know, losing weight can have a substantial impact on overall health and the associate and, you know, that associates to a number of different disease states that are typically comorbidities uh, associated with, with obesity. Yeah. And we, and we, I think you mentioned um, uh, a little while ago about uh, diabetes. And of course mm-hmm. that is something that uh, is sort of is uh, a and, and not very surprising explosion, uh, if, if I could call it that, in uh, our benefit plans, but both in terms of uh, how diabetes products have increased and uh, in, they've risen in the number of, uh, you know, the top 10. They're, they're very closely up there with mental health. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, you know, that can result in disability as well. And what we, I, I was mentioning to you earlier, we did a session yesterday on um, on diabetes. And uh, we talked about diabetes retinopathy, which of course is mm. 
to one, you know, an individual's um, eyesight. So it's very important to manage diabetes. So something like that would be, um, you know, would be right in line with what you're talking about. Absolutely. And some of the new treatments, if you look at the last few years that have been approved in the marketplace are in fact diabetes treatments, right, um, that have specialized dosing, um, you know, usually higher dosing that leads to some of the substantial weight loss that we've seen in the clinical trials. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So um, if someone is struggling with obesity, and I know you're not a physician, but what steps, um, based on your knowledge and understanding of the guidelines, would you recommend that an individual take to secure, you know, that appropriate diagnosis and then following up to get access to effective treatments in their benefit plan? So you know, what would you say to somebody who's wondering, oh, should I go to the doctor and, you know, check out whether, you know, I actually am obese and whether, you know, I should um, pursue options, uh, pharmaceutical options for assistance? Yeah, I mean, you know, it always starts with your primary care provider and a specialist that may be treating you, right? Because, you know, um, the the clinical pictures are ver- ver- as varied as individuals are, right? So, what what comorbidities do you have? What is well, you know? What are some of the challenges? And and you know, ha- what have you tried in the past? Obviously, first line is always to you know go with lifestyle modification, diet, exercise, and some of those elements. And addition of the pharmaceutical agents that are some of the new ones that are highly effective is obviously now changing the picture, you know, because I think what has happened historically, if you look at, you know, mid to late 1990s and some of the treatments we had there, uh, they weren't great, quite frankly, you know, with lots of unacceptable side effects, uh, minimal weight loss, etc. It was really in 2015 and onwards and really now heading into 2023, some of the treatments that are going to be approved this year that we're going to see some really interesting impacts in terms of the, the sheer weight loss, uh, the success in, 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 you know, in weight loss with some of these new agents and, 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 and very much more acceptable side effect profiles. So, um, so again, to go back to your question and answer more directly, it always starts with your, as I said, you know, with your primary care provider, looking at those treatment options. And of course, you know, if, if these agents are appropriate and indicated and you meet the, and you meet the, the, the clinical parameters, then of course, you know, pursuing that is, is a natural next step. And as long as your you know, physician agrees that that's the right approach. Yeah. So perhaps um, in closing, I could ask, if we're looking at the future, and we've talked a lot about, uh, you know, the guidelines and insurer practices and the nature of obesity, um, what more do you think can be done to prevent and manage obesity in the future? What are you looking forward to? Yeah, no, I mean, I think I, at the, it goes back to full circle where we started the conversation, which is which is that under, first we understand that it's disease, we get that common philosophical understanding and underpinning uh, as the ground base, right? From that, we'll grow and understand what we need to do next. We know we need to change many of the societal factors. You know, we know we need to change, you know, uh, the default, make, make healthy choices, the default choices for people because we're busy, uh, you know, everybody's busy lifestyles, you know, all the things that go on part of a modern day society are also the ones that are contributing to some of the things that we're seeing. So, you know, those are some of the things we need to do as a society, as people really rethink that. But of course, at the same time, we need to understand what's available to us here and today. And these new therapies that have come down the market that are highly effective, acceptable, you know, safety and efficacy uh, um, side effect profiles, putting all that together and being able to provide that to patients, because we know that if we have that effective access to those drugs, always consistent with the clinical practice guidelines, always consistent with the you know, approved indications and, and, and the evidence, um, if we have those things available, 
We're going to be helping patients, right, get access to uh, get effective treatments that, that re result in significant weight loss. And in you know, some of the cases, we're looking at over 20% weight loss with some of these drugs and treatments. And then that will have a substantial impact on not only that element, but certainly some of the you know, other chronic diseases and comorbidities that these individuals are suffering from. So we're going to be benefiting more broadly in terms of, you know, taking somebody who is uh, pre-diabetic and well, gonna, they're no longer going to be a pre-diabetic or somebody who may have uncontrolled diabetes may be more controlled now, right? So the, the, the impacts are substantial, right? And it's a, it's a, it's a you know, it's, it's more of the preventative space that we're looking at this, in, you know, or the management of chronic disease space. So I think holistically, Substantial impacts, the, the, the moral of the story is that I think there is a value to continue to provide effective access, evidence-based access to these treatments and, and standardizing what we do today to be more consistent with some of those uh, evidence-based practices and clinical guidelines, as I said before. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And based on everything that, you know, I've heard and said yesterday we had discussion on diabetes, um, it's, it's not just diabetes. I mean, a person's mental health uh, can be very negatively affected when they have a diagnosis of obesity. There's a lot of discrimination um, when, you're, uh, when you're obese. And of course, the wear and tear in your joints, um, you know, and that can be significant as well. So there's um, uh, multiple risk factors associated, uh, you know, with obesity. And certainly that investment in someone's, um, you know, uh, uh, overall health. Um, I think we'll pay back in spades. So once again, I'd like to uh, thank Ned for joining us today. I've been speaking to Ned Poiskic, uh, who's the Vice President, Pharmacy Benefits Management at GreenShield Canada. Um, Ned, uh, thanks very much. A lot of hard work has obviously been done in understanding obesity and in the policies and practices uh, surrounding uh, obesity medication to help patients manage their condition. And I look forward to hearing about your progress at Green Shield very soon and uh, keeping in touch in the years ahead. Thank you so Wonderful. much. Thank you so much for your time.